All right, are you ready to get into the Word today? All right, and I know you may have dinner reservations, so I'll try to talk fast if you'll listen fast. Deal? All right, awesome. I want to share a word with you today that the Lord's put on my heart. i got to be honest here, just by way of introduction, I've never preached a message out of this book of the Bible, which is saying something. I've been doing this for a while, but I've never preached a message out of this book of the Bible um, and it's really small. I should probably tell you where we're going just so you have time to find it. But I'll make you scramble a little bit longer. In fact, the more I thought about it, I don't even know if I've even heard a message out of this book of the Bible. I'm sure I have, and that's probably an insult to my dad, who's a preacher, and to to my pastor, who I was with for 16 years. And it's probably an insult. Probably Ron's preached on it. He's sitting right here. And, you know, but I... I I was thinking about this book this week, and I want to share a message with you, and and the title for the message is, To the Lady Chosen by God. To the Lady Chosen by God. There's a, a Spanish proverb that says, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. Don't know how I feel about that, but it's probably true. Uh, famous pastor, uh, G. Campbell Morgan uh, raised four boys, all of whom became pastors. And they were at a family reunion, and somebody asked one of the boys, they said, so which Morgan is the best preacher? Immediately, he looked at his dad, and he said, Mom. <laughs> a mother's influence can't be understated, or can't be overstated. The reality is God has given you, moms, an incredible responsibility in uh, raising your children. And the Apostle John recognized that. He recognized that a mom's influence was significant in a family. In fact, one of the churches that he pastored had some issues going on. And when he heard about the issues, his response was to write a letter to one of the moms in the church. And that letter is Second John. So if you go all the way to the end of your Bible, uh, turn left from the maps, and you find Revelation, keep going a little bit farther, you find a tiny little book called Jude, and then just past that, there's a few pages that are stuck together. If you peel those open, you'll find 2nd and 3rd John. And I want us to go to 2nd John today for a few moments, and I just want to share some things that the Lord spoke to my heart out of this short little letter. And I do mean short. The whole letter is only 13 verses long. In the original language, it's 245 characters. I mean, you could almost tweet the book. Second John is small, but it's powerful. And he begins the letter saying these words. John Verse 1, 2 John, verse 1. The elder, that's him, to the lady chosen by God and her children. So this is who he's writing to. He's writing to the lady chosen by God and her children. Now let me say this to all the men, just so you don't go, oh good, it is a Mother's Day message, and check out on me. There are plenty of places in Scripture where... uh, the Bible language uses a female personification to talk about the church. In fact, even John does it in writing the Revelation. He describes the church as the bride of Christ. He calls the church the, the bride of the Lamb. The Apostle Paul, talking about uh, 
marriage equates it to the relationship between Christ and the church. And even more to the point, he uses the picture of marriage to describe a local church as presenting the church to Christ as a pure bride. And so this message applies to everybody. Because you can certainly look at it that way and say that the lady of the church would be the the leader in the church and that her children would be the members. And we can all find application there. But for today, I want to take the most literal and the most obvious interpretation of the scripture that on Mother's Day, this is a letter to mom. So I want us to look at it here for a few moments and we'll see how far we get. It's only 13 verses, but... It says in verse 1, the elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Now, I want to just stop right there on the first verse and emphasize John's words. And and I want to make it personal today, not just John speaking to this lady, but can I speak to the ladies chosen by God in the church and echo his words in saying this, mom, we love you. That's what he said. We love you. We love you. And we don't love you because of all the things that you do right. We love you because we know the truth. That's the emphasis. We love you. Not just I, he says, we all love you in The truth. So the reality is, and and I know Mother's Day can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but for some of you, maybe you don't have a good relationship with your mom. And this day is like an uphill battle. It's a strain because there's tension in the relationship. And and all you can think about is all the things that she hasn't done. And none of the cards at Walmart fit the right description. There's nothing that can be said that has been said that fits your relationship with your mom. Can I just encourage you today to not try to express love based on all the things that she's done, but based on the reality that you are in the truth. He said, we love you because we are in the truth. That's powerful. That's an entirely different kind of motivation. That's a different launch point for love. And so it's really important that we understand if the motivation base for love in the church is truth, then we need to ask the same question that Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? What is truth? And you're going to see in just a few moments, I'm going to just show you very uh, few scriptures quickly on the screen, but you're going to see that, that it's very definitive. First of all, Jesus is the truth. The, the writer of this book, Second John, also wrote extensively about what the truth is in the Gospel of John. Don't turn there for time's sake, but in John chapter 14, in verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want to just encourage you today here that looking at truth as something that is merely academic is a dangerous place to stay. Because the Bible communicates that that truth is far more than just an academic understanding. And, And what you're here for today, I would go on to say, is more than just an intellectual agreement with something that I might say that you go, well, yes, that's true. No, there is truth. He is alive. We sang about him earlier. His name is Jesus. And he came for a specific purpose to be the truth for you and I. And that truth purpose is to bring us back To the Father. Jesus said, I am the truth. No one gets to God outside of me. Jesus 
is the truth. Can somebody say amen to that today? And John writes, we love you because we're in Jesus. But John not only communicates in his gospel that Jesus is the truth, he goes on to say not only that Jesus, the living word, John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, he was with God. John 1.14, the word became flesh, Jesus is the living word, but also he goes on to say the written word is truth. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And in John 17, verse 7, here's his prayer for them and for us. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So again, we have truth with a very clear purpose. That we're saved. The Bible says in Romans 1 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The truth is for our salvation. But as we see in the words of Jesus, it's also for our sanctification. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. God has a purpose in giving us truth. And it's on that foundation of the word of God that John writes to the lady of the church. I love you. In fact, we all love you. Because we are in the truth. But John goes even farther than that. Not only is Jesus the living word the truth, not only is the written word the truth, but he communicates between those two passages in John 14 and in John 17. He says on several different occasions that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the truth. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And again, it's for a practical purpose. Three different times. He says in John 14, verse 7, 17, these words, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. We we talked about that in our life groups this past Sunday night, talking about a spirit empowered life. The Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. He wants to fill you. Why? Because he's the spirit of truth. And John goes on to explain why do we want to be filled with this spirit of truth? John 15, 26 says this. When the advocate comes, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send from the Father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. One of the reasons that the Holy Spirit is in operation in the earth today is to testify about Jesus. He's the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit doesn't do anything that is contradictory to Jesus, to what Jesus said, to what Jesus did. There's perfect unity in the Trinity. He leads us and testifies about Jesus. Then John said in John 16, verse 3, about the spirit of truth. He said, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. So here's here's the truth. It's Jesus, the Son of God. It's the living Word of God. It's the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit of God. They're all the truth. So the question that, that we have to come back to Second John with, of demonstrating love in the church, is do we have this understanding of what the truth is? Do we love in the truth? Because this is not a truth that is based on popular opinion. It's certainly not reflective of pop culture. It's not a truth that's based on personal experience. It's not, uh, well, this is what feels, feels right to me. No, this is a truth that is unchanging. It's a truth that is found in God's word 
that we're guided into by God's Spirit and that is established in God's Son. This is the truth. And John says to the lady of the church, your love today. And it's not because of all the things you do. It's not because you epitomize the perfect Hallmark card. Your love today because we are in the truth. So let me just give you a little reprieve, mom. If you're, if you're anxious about those cards that say all these things that you're supposed to be, you know, all these standards of perfections that the writers of Hallmark have imposed on us, or, or maybe that your family has, and, and, and to be quite honest, I'm not asking anybody to raise their hand, but the truth is there's some pushback on days like this because the standard just gets higher and and higher and higher to measure up. And and this is a grace word that John is writing. He's saying we don't love you because you, you, you know, you make our lunches and you put notes in and we don't love you because you do the laundry. We don't love you because of all the things you've put up with. We love you. The church loves you. And John goes out of his way to say, not just me, but all of us. He spoke for you. Now we have to live up to it. But he spoke for all of us and he said, we love you, lady of the church, because we're in the truth. We're in the truth. And he says, not just her only, but look at verse 1 again. He says, to the lady of the church and her children. And her children. So can I just tell you today, maybe, maybe you're here and you're not a mom Maybe not even a lady. Maybe it's one of the guys. And you're just feeling that, that sense of having to measure up to be loved, to be accepted, to be embraced, to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Can you just hear this, this simple message? If you hear nothing else, and I don't know how much farther we're going to get out of these 13 verses, but if you hear nothing else, just know that you're not loved because of what you do. You're loved because of the truth that's established in our heart. In fact, the Bible says that is the motivation base for how we love. John wrote it just a couple pages earlier in 1 John. He said these words, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. That's the motivation base. That God has loved us so much and reconciled us that that motivates us to love one another. And more than that, there's an incredible blessing for us. It's not just, a, you know, uh, we all join around the campfire and sing Kumbaya and everybody loves everybody. No, there's incredible blessing of being in the truth. Look at the next verse with me. John chapter, well, there's no chapter, just one chapter. Second John, second verse. Because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever, he's going to make a statement. Look at this statement. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. Now, that sounds like some of the prayers that are prayed in some of the other epistles. Like, may the grace of the Lord be with you. Some of the doxologies of, you know, grace and peace be to you. But this is not a prayer. Look at the phrasing here. This is not a prayer. This is a promise. He's saying these are the guarantees of walking in truth and love as the body of Christ. We have grace. Grace means that we get the things that we don't deserve. That's the blessing of God. That's the favor of God. You get grace today when you walk in love. More than that, you get mercy. If grace is getting the things that you don't deserve from God, mercy is not getting the things that you do deserve. 
All the punishment. All the things you've done wrong. You and I, the word of God communicates very clearly, deserve the wrath of God. But the mercy and grace of God kissed at the cross. And you got what you didn't deserve. Because he took the punishment you did deserve. More than that, he goes on to say in that verse, you get grace, you get mercy, and you get peace. You get peace with God instead of instead of division, instead of a, a broken relationship. You're reconciled to God, not just the peace with God. You get the peace of God. So in the midst of the worst day, in the most difficult storm, you can have something that is deeper and more stable than your own understanding. And the Bible says you can lean on that peace when you walk in truth. Walk in truth, he says. Let's look a little farther. Verse 4. He says, It has given me great joy to find that some of your children are walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. This is five times now in the first four verses that John says truth. You think he's trying to get somewhere with this? Five times in four verses, he talks about the truth, the truth. And now he says, walking in the truth. There's something he's trying to communicate to this lady of the church about the importance of being on a firm foundation with yourself and with your family. There was an author told of ancient China and the need that the people had there to provide security against the barbaric hordes to the north. And so they built what we know as the Great Wall. They did that as a defense. It was so high, they believed that no one could climb over it. It was so thick that they were convinced that no one could break it down. It was an impenetrable barrier. But yet in the first hundred years of the wall's existence, China was invaded three times. The wall was never broken down, and it was never climbed over. All three times, the gatekeeper was bribed. And there's a lesson that someone wrote an observation of that. They said the Chinese were so busy relying on walls of stone that they forgot to teach integrity to their children. You understand today, I'm not talking about just piling a bunch of rules on your family. So, well, this is truth and that's false and this is right and that's wrong and thou shalt and thou shalt not. I'm talking about cultivating something in your home. He said, I'm grateful that some of your children are walking in the truth. He didn't say, I'm glad that or I'm grateful that some of your children learned the truth or heard the truth. Or went to a Sunday school that taught the truth. He said, it gives me great joy to know that some of your children are walking in the truth. How many of you know that's an important responsibility that we have? To train up a child, Proverbs says, in the way that they should go. To train them up is a process that demands diligence of every parent and concerned adult. But there's one sentence in this verse that is kind of troubling. And it kind of gives a little insight into what might have motivated him to write this letter. And and the word in verse 4 is some. Did it stand out to you when we read it? He said, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth. Can I just ask a question to all the moms? Is some 
enough for you? I mean, one time, Day and I were traveling with our girls. Um, I think we were flying from Texas back to Pennsylvania or vice versa. And uh, there was an incredibly long line. It might have been around Thanksgiving time. And uh, you shouldn't try to fly at Thanksgiving time. But, but we were. And we stood in this really long security line. And we finally got up there. And it was our turn to go through the security checkpoint. And so we had to present our ID and our boarding passes for uh, both of us and for all three of our girls. And it was at that moment, after standing in the security line for about an hour, that we realized that the ticketing agent had only given us four boarding passes. I didn't have a boarding pass for Morgan, our oldest daughter. And so... Trying to be funny and lighthearted in the moment, I said, well, hey, two out of three kids aren't bad. We'll still get home with them. Day didn't think it was very funny. I quickly left the bags with her and ran back to the ticketing agent and said, I'll meet you at the gate. You know, and I took Morgan with me and we got it taken care of. But how many of you understand that getting home with two out of three, those are not good odds. Those don't work for mom. And that's what we see here. He says, I'm glad to see that some of your children are walking in the faith. But now we're getting into something. Look at the next verse with me. The next two verses says, verse 5. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new command, but one that we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Doesn't that seem like something we've heard before? He said, this isn't new. You've heard this before. But it's worth me writing it. I'm taking the time to put ink to paper to tell you something that you've already heard. Love one another. And verse 6 says, and this is love. Just to clarify, we're not talking about some mushy, worldly uh, definition of love. He said, this is the love I'm talking about. That we walk in obedience to His commands. There's walking again. In obedience to His commands. And you have heard From the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. So here's John. He's making an appeal to mom, the teacher. He's he's making an appeal to mom, the mentor. He's talking to mom, the role model. Mom, the leader. Now, you know, moms teach kids all sorts of things. There's all kinds of things that you're constantly in training mode. You're constantly answering the the why questions and the what questions. and, And you're dealing with all kinds of things. And if you're, if you're like me, maybe you've already been through this stage, but with uh, my oldest daughter getting ready to go into high school ne- next year, we've gotten to that place where they, she asks questions about homework, and I realize she may be more educated than me. You ever had that moment where you're like, I, if I learned that, I have no recollection of it at all. I, I, don't, even know, I don't even know what you're talking about. Hey, Siri. Like, that's... that's uh, that's how I help with homework sometimes. Hey Siri, I try to get my phone in on the game. If you've had that moment, it can be a little daunting to realize that, oh my goodness, my kids need stuff from me that I can't give them. They're asking questions that I can't answer. There's a valuable lesson in this for us, and the lesson is this. Teaching new information is not as important as rehearsing old truths. Can I say that again? Teaching new information is not as important as rehearsing old truths. There's a statement that says what's true is not new, and what's new is not true. 
Now, that's probably a stretch. Not everything fits into that category. But for the most part, that is a true statement. That the things that are really true are unchanging. And the things that are new and developing, those things are not not stable and foundational. Things that are true are not new and the things that are new are not true. And so our responsibility is not to have all the answers to all the questions. It's not to be seen in in a light of perfection from your kids. Take that burden off your shoulders. That's not one you're meant to carry. But we are responsible to rehearse the old truths. We are responsible to go back to those foundational things that our kids need to know. And this is one of them. And and John writes, he says, say this, I want you to love one another. I want you to love one another. Now, we've heard that many times throughout the Bible. John said it six times. Paul said it four times. Peter said it twice. Love one another, love one another, love one another. But they all got it from Jesus. Jesus said on multiple occasions, five different times, he said, love one another. And John's writing this letter, it's about 90 AD. He's about 90 years old. And he's writing this letter to the lady of the church. He's nearing the end of his life. And we just finished the series here called Seven, and we talked about last words. And, and this is kind of one of those moments for John, as he's thinking about the end of his life. I don't know how many more letters I got in me. Things are boiling down to what's most important. And he's not writing with some new idea. He's doubling back to the truths that are unchanging. And he says, love one another. You know, Peter had the, the same experience Though he died much younger, he knew that he was nearing the end of his life. And so when Peter was writing his letter, 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, here's what he said, understanding that his days were short. He said, so I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and you are firmly established in the truths that you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the body because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus had made clear to me. Look at verse 15. He said, And I will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. Moms, what do you want your kids to remember after you're gone? I mean, what do you really want them to remember? There's a thousand things you've taught them, and certainly you hope they're going to remember most of them. But a lot of the stuff that we say, it, it goes in one ear and it goes out the other. One of the saddest verses in all, all the Bible is found in Jude, or Judges rather, chapter 2 in verse 10. It says this, it says, After the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. That was the testimony of the generation that followed Joshua. Joshua, who walked with Moses out of bondage in Egypt, saw God supernaturally provide for 40 years in the wilderness, saw God part waters and rout enemies, deliver them into a promised land, give them every promise. And yet one generation later, it says this generation grew up not knowing not knowing the Lord or the things that he had done for Israel. There's some things that just really, really matter. When it boils down to it, what do you want your kids to know? 
I want to tell you a story that happened really recently. Uh, many of you got a chance to meet my grandmother. She was here last month, uh, 90 years old. We celebrated her birthday while she was here. I was so, just so honored that, that she made the trip. And uh, I, I hope I can make a, a flight like that at 90. But she was with us, and, and we took her to Sight and Sound. And she got to see Jonah, and we just drove all over Lancaster County and uh, just had a great time sitting around the table playing cards with with my girls and 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 her just having having fun. There was one moment that happened when she was here that it, it will absolutely go down as as the most cherished memory I have of my grandmother. And uh, it was kind of late one night. Day and I were in the kitchen. We were just talking, and uh, everybody else had gone to bed. And all of a sudden, we heard somebody talking. And, you know, Day's like, what is that? So we go to the edge of the hall and we stand there and we kind of lean down the hall. And my grandmother is praying for us. She's, one by one, she's naming everybody in the family. God bless them. God help them. She's naming her, her son and her daughters and she's mentioning the needs in their life. And I got to stand outside like a total creeper. I'll own it. I'm sorry, but now that I'm telling the story, it does sound weird. (laughs) But I listened unapologetically to my grandmother. Pray for us. She prayed for us, and it reminds me of something significant. When it comes to the things that you want your kids to really remember, most of the lessons that we teach that are significant are better caught than they are taught. You can tell me how important it is to pray for your kids, but there's, there's, a, there's a sound now to go with that lesson. There's a face to go with that lesson. There's a memory lodged in my mind of what it looks like to be faithfully devoted, to go before the Father on behalf of your family. A mother that prays for their kids is a powerful, powerful lesson. And so John is doubling back to the things that matter the most, the things that are really important. The things that we need to remember and not forget and make sure that they make a mark on our kids. And now, as you move to the second half of that chapter, you start to see a little bit of John's concern. And I'll try to be brief in reading through the rest of this, but he was concerned about some things. Look at verse 7 with me, Second John 7 and 8. It says, I say this because many deceivers who do not know, uh, acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, they have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out. Look at verse 8. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Be careful that you don't lose What we've worked for. Jesus said this. He said, what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? And I think, honestly, any parent could safely change that and it would still apply to say, what does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and yet lose their child's soul? It's not worth it. All the money in the world, all the advancement in your career, all all the things. It's not worth it to get to the end of it all and to look back and to realize that those who were following in your footsteps weren't following. What would it profit to gain it all and lose their 
soul. Listen, making it to heaven without my kids is just not an option. It's not an option. They have to have their own boarding pass. They have to be able to to get on board. And I'll tell you, there's nothing in this world that is worth that exchange. I I love this church. I love being in full-time ministry, but I can promise you this. If it was doing full-time ministry or saving my marriage or saving my kids, I'm out of here. I'm gone, and you'd make the same decision, I would hope. There's nothing, there's nothing worth the trade of knowing that our kids are grounded in the faith, of knowing that they're established, of knowing that they're going to get on board whenever they come to their end, end of their life, whether it's by way of the grave or the rapture of the church, that they're ready, that they're prepared to meet Jesus. He goes on and he says this in verse 9 through 11. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. That's a big statement. Whoever continues in the teaching of both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now here's what's going on. There are false teachers that are going to the church that John has established. He's preached the truth. He's preached the word. People have believed in Jesus, the same Jesus that we declared as the truth today in song and in sermon. And they followed him and now they're preaching a different Gospel, it's, there's different brands of Gnosticism and, and there's those that don't believe that Jesus really was the Son of God or that they believe that Jesus was a man and then he became the Christ and did the miracles and then when Jesus got to the cross, the Christ left him and Jesus died. And There's all kinds of different views and beliefs that were twisting the, the foundation of truth that the church was established on. And so, so John's writing... He's giving these stern words and he's emphasizing the fact that, look, you can't say you're in God and not in the Son. If you're not in the Son and the Father, you're not in God. You don't know God. You have to stay true to the Word. The reality is, and I won't belabor this point, but the reality is, you and I know, the world that our kids are growing up in today is a totally different world than it was even 40 years ago. A completely, completely different world that we're living in. Unimaginable even 40 years ago. Even think about some of the things that, that we have legalized in our culture that, that would have been frowned upon or not even discussed just a generation ago. Not only have we legalized things and, and, and validated lifestyle choices and things that are anti-truth and anti-God, we've gone the other extreme and now we've criminalized those who would stand for righteousness. Those who would stand against things that are absolutely anti-biblical, anti-truth, and anti-Christ. That's the world our kids are growing up in. We have people like educators, like Bill Nye the science guy, telling our kids that, that we all live somewhere on a spectrum between male and female. Which is an absolute contradiction of what God's word says about his created purpose for your life anti-biblical views all over the place. And here's the reality. This this gets so practical. Stay with me a few moments. John is talking about the stuff that's coming right in their living room. 
He's not talking about be careful of the stuff out there. It's out there in the world. He's writing to a lady about things that are right in their living room. Because he's talking to a mom. And in this day and in this age, this is a mom who is a part of the church. In fact, she probably hosts the church in her home. And when these traveling preachers would come around, it's not like they had a holiday inn they could put them up in. What they would do is they would open their home. We see it all through scripture. Paul staying with Priscilla and Aquila. Acts chapter 2, people gathering, sharing all things, having all things in common. They would, they would invite the speakers to, to come and stay in their home. Because even the inns that they did have in the Bible, it wasn't, it wasn't like a furnished private room. It was a spot you would rent to lay out your own bed mat. And so when a preacher would come, a kind lady of the church like this one would open up her home. She would serve them food and share with them. And these false teachers were coming and they were sitting and they were indoctrinating her and her children with false teachings. And that's what I'm talking about today. Not something that's just out there in the world. I'm talking about the things that come into our living room. Through your TV. Through our iPads and through conversation and through a multitude of different ways, John is writing about guarding the hearts of your family against these things that are anti-Christ and anti-truth and anti-biblical worldview. We have to be cautious. We have to be cautious. I'll tell you one more story about my grandmother. Bear with me, it's Mother's Day. We're sitting around my table and we're talking a few weeks ago. And in the course of our conversation, I learned that she's been having a Bible study for over a year now. I think on Thursday morning, she said, with a couple of Jehovah's Witness ladies. I said, Grandmother, you, you know they don't, believe, uh, they don't believe the same thing about Jesus that we do, right? She said, well, I, I know they got some, some different views about stuff. And so I, I didn't want to you know, go and see what the Assembly of God stance on Jehovah's Witnesses are. I went to JW.org. I went to Jehovah's Witness. I said, let me show you what they say they believe about Jesus. And so I showed her. They don't believe that Jesus is God. That's exactly what John was dealing with. He was dealing with people that were taking away the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm having this conversation with my grandmother. And I said, you know, Grandmom, why would, why would you... Why would you invite them in and, and have this conversation? And you know what? She was probably, she's probably a lot like the lady that, that John wrote to. Because here's her answer. And, and I mean, if, the, if there's a picture in the dictionary beside the word hospitality, it's got to be my grandmother. So here's the logic. She said, well, I just couldn't think of any good reason not to invite folks in on a Thursday morning to have a Bible study if I didn't have nothing going on. I thought, well, that sounds so kind, and it is, so compassionate, and she's an incredible host. But my grandmother didn't know what John said in verse 10. She didn't know what he said. I I, want to read it again. He said, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching about the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Don't take them into your house. Don't welcome them. She, she didn't know that verse. She was just being hospitable. And maybe that's what John was dealing with when he got word about the folks that are coming and staying in this lady's house and teaching the people that he had led to Christ 
some false doctrine about Jesus. And I say all that to say that parents, moms especially, hear me today. It's our responsibility to defend the truth. And the messages that are, that are coming into our homes and, and the, the worldviews that are being cultivated in our sons and in our daughters. Lest we get one day down the road and realize that the truth we were walking in, they weren't following. Or maybe just some of them are walking in the truth. It's our responsibility to double back to the sacred truth. To go back to the word of God. Led by the spirit of God. With a conviction in the Son of God. And say, children, this is the way we should go walk in it. It's our responsibility to teach our kids. Now let me read the last two verses just so we can say we got there. And I'll make some closing thoughts. And I want to pray for you before we leave. Here's what it says in verse 12. I have much to write to you. But I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Last verse. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, send their greetings. Now, it's only a 13 verse letter. I don't know what the other things are he wanted to talk about that he didn't talk about. Thought what he did talk about was pretty good, but we we don't need to speculate too long on what he didn't say. What I just wanted you to see out of this last couple verses is the heart that John had. He said, look, there's a lot of stuff I could write to you about. There's a lot of things I could say, but I don't want to save it for paper and ink. I want to have face-to-face conversation with you. And if I can just kind of bring this back to where we live today on this significant day, a lot of times we have a tendency to do the very opposite. We save the words that we really want to talk about for the annual card. For the paper and ink. And John says, you know, that's good. I'm glad I could write to you and these things are important. But there's so much more I want to say face to face. I want to be in your presence and I want to talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. I mean, thank God for days like today that you know we're motivated to, to put our thoughts down on paper or in a card and to say what we really feel. But... If you've got the opportunity to go face to face today and share your heart, I mean the things that really matter, the things that you want people to remember after you're gone, seize that opportunity. If you have the opportunity to to have that face to face conversation, do it. Do it. Take the opportunity. And that's what John was saying. I, I, I relish the opportunity. We, we're losing the ability to just Sit down and share heart to heart anymore. I had a guy yesterday, uh, Phil and Darlene and Day and I, we were up in Harrisburg at a fine arts festival with our kids. And there was a, a young man that was there that recognized me. He knew who I was. I didn't know who he was, but he knew who I was. Didn't say a word to me all day. Walked past me multiple times. We were in the same room. Never said a word to me. But I know he knew, I know he knew who I was. Because after we left, I got a Facebook friend request. And I just thought, isn't that weird? We were in the same room all day. I don't even know that you made eye contact with me. You didn't say hello. 
But now that I'm gone, you want a friend request? Do you want to be my friend or do you just want to look at all my photos? Like, I'm not knocking that guy. I'm using him as an illustration to say that a lot of times we have the opportunity. The day affords it and, and we don't say what's on our heart. We don't say the things that we really need to say. John was the opposite of that. He said, look, I could write letters. But what I really want is to be able to share my heart with you. I want to share my heart with you. So I just want to leave you with that as a word of encouragement. Maybe, maybe your mom's no longer here to honor. Honor her memory. Tell stories about her today. But if you have the opportunity, take it. I want to ask you to stand with me today. As we close this service, here's my prayer for you. My prayer is I was looking at this tiny little letter. Charles Swindoll calls it one of the postcards of the New Testament. As I'm looking at this little letter, there's a couple of things on my heart. And I'm going to pray for you, but the first is this. I don't want anybody to leave this place today not knowing you're loved. Not only by God, but you're loved by His family. Whether this is your home church or you're just visiting or maybe you just come on holidays. I I don't know why that is. But let me just encourage you with these words. Your value is not in what you do. It's in what Jesus has done in us. Your value to us is what Jesus has done in us. When he changes us, we see you differently. We don't have the capacity to love the way that we should love. But when we walk in the truth, we do. And my prayer is that nobody would leave this church today without the understanding This simple understanding, in spite of what you might have heard or speculated, that church over there, they really love me. They're not perfect. They don't communicate it well all the time. But they really love me. Because that's what they're commanded to do. Because they're committed to walking in truth. If you're here today and you just say, "I, I don't know the love of God through the church. I've never opened myself up to that. I've kind of been a skeptic. I've pushed back. Or maybe, you, you, maybe you've been hurt by the church. And now you just lumped us all in with that bad experience. We don't always get it right. But I want to tell you, the church loves you. This church loves you. And I want to pray for you right now. I want to ask you to just bow your head with me. Lord God, I pray today that, that Lord, this letter... So the lady chosen by God would go out to everyone in this room to understand that they too are chosen by God. You have a plan and a purpose for their life. You've called them. God, I pray that everyone here would sense today the love of Christ that was demonstrated when you poured out your life's blood for us on the cross. God, help us today to feel just in the atmosphere of this sanctuary that this love is genuine. That we want to grow together in the spirit of truth. We want to walk in love. So God, I just pray if there's anyone here that, that's pushed back, that's, that's held back, that's, that's had their guard up. That Lord, today, in this moment, they would put it down. And they would say, Lord, I open my life to receive your love. To receive your grace, to receive your forgiveness. Lord, I make myself vulnerable to be loved by the family of God. I'm not just going to be a wallflower anymore. 
I'm not going to be distant and aloof. God, I want to walk in love with those you loved and died for. If that's your heart today, I pray that you'll just, with sincerity, tell him that. Make a commitment today. Just make a personal commitment. Say, God, I'm putting my guard down. I want to walk in love with these people again. And I want to pray a a scripture over you today. Especially over every lady in this house. Psalm 147, verse 10 and 11 says, His pleasure is not in the strength of a horse, nor his delight in the legs of a warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. God, as I understand that verse, your word is saying that, Lord, there's nothing we can do to measure up to receive your love. There's nothing we can do to impress you more. God, you're looking at our hearts today. Every one of us, young, old, male, female, Lord, you're looking at our hearts today and you take delight in those that fear you. So God, we honor you today. To fear you is to just acknowledge your presence in every moment, in every circumstance and to submit ourselves to your Lordship. And so God, right now, as your people, we do that again. We surrender to who you are, to your Lordship. God, take delight in your church today and equip us by your spirit, the spirit of truth, to lead the next generation. All of them, not some of them, all of them, to walk in obedience to your word. God, I pray your blessing today on every family, on every individual. God, we honor we honor moms today. We honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, as we bring this service